We are so grateful to have Podium Education as the sponsors of this episode of Thought Feeder. Podium Education partners with colleges and universities to offer turnkey tech skills programs delivered 100% online. Their coursework covers emerging technology areas like data analytics and web development, giving students from all majors the skills they need for a great career in the modern workforce. If you're interested in increasing enrollment and attracting top students, bring Silicon Valley to your campus with Podium Education. You can learn lots more today at PodiumEducation.com. Welcome to the Thought Feeder Podcast. My name is Joel Goodman. With me, as always, is the inquisitive John Stephen Stancil. Today is a mailbag day. It's actually our first mailbag day. We sent out a tweet a few days ago before recording this asking for your questions or topics or comments, and we got a few. And so it's it's just a mailbag, grab bag, stick stickly style sort of, sort of episode. So... I was thinking more Brack from uh, Space Brack, Coast Coast yeah. to Coast. Yeah. But we're, we're dating ourselves as older millennials. <laughs> Space Coast Coast Coast. Uh, I used to I used to watch that on uh, on TBS when I would stay home sick oh, from yeah. school. It was fantastic. <laughs> so our first question comes from at Will Duter. Uh, he tweets at us, longtime follower, first time tweeter. My question. What's the nicest way to tell someone their idea is the dumbest thing you've ever heard? Follow-up question. How do you have uh, the stop using Comic Sans in your professional email conversation without sounding pretentious? Will, you have come to the wrong place. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't know. I have no... I'm probably the absolute worst person to ask this question to. So I have a few takes and a few ideas, but but Joel, Joel, you might be a little bit more diplomatic than I am. So do you have any thoughts on this? Well, and diplomacy is the key. So as someone that owns an agency that works with different universities and personalities and clients, I'm not going to say my clients ever have really terrible ideas because that's not nice. And they don't really. But if like, generally, if you hear a dumb idea, it's in my opinion, it's because someone is trying to be an active participant in the process. Like they're trying to give you some good thoughts. And the way that I always approach this, so, you know, I'll take a step back. When I work with different university clients, we'll oftentimes come in and we'll have discussions about how we want to do things. And a lot of times ideas come up and they're ideas that are generally generally fine or that they would work, but they don't necessarily fit into the plans or strategies that we're thinking of as a strategy team at Bravery. And so what I try to do is have a conversation around those and expand upon it. So I like to say that we are in the business of taking ideas and making them better. And if you can make that a collaborative process, one, you get buy-in from that person. Like they start to think that it was their idea. And I mean, sometimes it is. Sometimes they, if you can lead them along in a conversation, they're going to have ideas that spur on better ideas or better concepts. So it's to me, it's about bringing people into the conversation, the idea generation or expansion process, and trying to maximize whatever little kernel of a thought was there. Because unless it's something completely off the wall, you know, that has nothing to do with what your strategy is doing, like there's probably going to be a little kernel of an idea that can grow into something bigger. And it's just a matter of of talking through it and generating your own ideas and trying to bring someone into that process and understand where you're coming from and and think more deeply about what they want to do. Yeah, yeah. 
And and I, I will add, there are times when it's okay not to be diplomatic. If the idea is actively dangerous to your institution in some way, you know, for, for some reason, you know, I, I was just looking at an ad campaign yesterday, some grape candy made, uh, where they put up billboards that said, uh, there's, there's, it's like, make, make America grape again, and... We have never groped a licorice, like make, trying to make a joke out of sexual assault. And somebody Terrible. in that room, yeah, someone in that room, obviously they didn't have any women in the room, which is a, a problem number one. But problem number two, somebody in that meeting should have said, no, that's a dumb and dangerous idea. And then they would have been justified in, in, in doing so. But on top of that, in, in the diplomatic sense, I, I think a lot of ideas that aren't that great may have some nugget of goodness to them, but they're not goal-based so sometimes yeah. asking people what their goal and their what they expect the outcome of this idea to be to work like what's the purpose of this idea what are you trying to get done with it allow me to to, to throw shade on myself uh, okay. of, I, I can't decide if this is my best worst idea or my worst best idea but when I got started out at UCA, I had this idea. I really wanted to, to try and really wanted to the beginning of the school year and give away the president's parking space for a week I uh, thought, man, this would be a great contest prize. So I'm not even starting with the goal or the contest. I'm starting with, the, I'm like, I'm like eight layers down yeah. the process. I'm, I'm starting <laughs> like at the very end rather than coming up with a goal and working towards that. And I built this whole idea around, okay, we're going to do a contest and then we're going to give away the president's parking space and... Uh, well, what's the contest going to be? Well, it's going to be a photo contest. And well, how's the photo contest going to work? And what's the goal for the photo contest? So I put the goal at the last. And if somebody in the, a meeting had said to me, hey, what is the goal here? I, I, I think, one, we would have done things a whole lot differently. And, and, and the, the whole idea would have been a lot more effective. But, you know, done so in a way that was goal focused rather than, hey, no, that's not a good, solid idea there. Yeah, I think it's similar to... What we talked about with Amanda Getz uh, a couple episodes back about setting OKRs on different things. Like you got to you gotta know like the tactical side of it's not a part of it, but you got to know what the end result is supposed to be. Like what are you trying to accomplish with whatever you're doing? And then you can match the idea to that goal. And so a lot of times it really is just – in my experience, it's, it's just massaging it, right? It's it's taking that idea and, and I, think, I think there's a level of – there, there's some introspective work that has to be done. So like if you're in that position of being like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard, you got to like take a step back, look at it objectively and say, okay, in this format, why do I think it's dumb? Is it dumb because I don't like this person? And so I'm railing against their personality. And if that's the case, and you probably just need to do some personal work on, on, you know, like being nice to people. But I think, if it's it's if it's the sort of thing where it doesn't match up with the strategy and goals that you have, then the idea is someone I think trying to participate in a process and really just needs you to take your leadership as a digital strategist, a marketer, you know, a social media person, whatever it is, and help them help kind of guide them through. It's it's a call for leadership, I think. Really, it's it's a call for it's a call for you to take up an opinion and work through it with them on all those different steps. Yeah. And sometimes it's kind of, you know, suppressing that gut instinct where sometimes you just want to say, oh, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Yeah. And just kind of stifling <laughs> that down a bit. 
That can take training depending yeah. on who you are. Take a little yeah. practice. <laughs> so let's get to the follow-up question here. How do you have the stop using comic sans in your professional email conversation about sounding pretentious? And you know, this surprises me all the time. I do see comic sans in, in people's emails, and I just think to myself, like, this is the most unprofessional thing I've ever seen. But how do you have that conversation? How do you tell somebody like, hey, don't use that font? I think some of it kind of comes into just institutional guidelines of, hey, you don't change the font in your email. Like it needs to just yeah. be a, a top level thing. It's governance. Yeah. That's, that's what I was thinking. It just comes down to governance. Someone has to be in charge of saying this is policy. Right. If otherwise... it's an individual though, like if it's like a professional that's like running their own business and they do it in their, their own email signature, like. I don't know. I don't I don't know that you should have that conversation. I feel like you shouldn't bother with it and you should either lead by example and not use comic sans in your signature or uh, uh you know, like you have to develop a good relationship with someone and say like, "Hey, you know, this would look a lot more professional if you used a brand font instead of comic sans versus, you know, it's just it's none of your business if it's just someone, you know, as an acquaintance or something you don't have a relationship with. Like you why does it bug you? Also, Comic Sans oh. has its place. Not in signatures, but, you know. Okay, I want to talk about this, because whenever I... I do love to rail against Comic Sans. Sure. Um, and whenever I do, somebody brings up the point, and it is a valid point, that Comic Sans is more easily readable for the dyslexic. And but but there, are, there are other fonts that are more purposefully tailored to that. Exactly. Do you know um, where Comic Sans is is good? In comic strips. When you have a comic strip, that is a place where you can use Comic Sans. Yes. It's tiny. It looks better when it's small. It's readable at small type sizes. Like put it in a comic strip. That's where that's where it belongs if right. it's going to be used. Yeah, and, and I would say you know the dyslexic don't have to to live with terrible fonts. <laughs> The, the, the British Dyslexia Association does recommend uh, various fonts. Comic Sans is one of them, but they also re recommend Arial, which is very professional. Uh, a little boring, but professional. Verdana, Tahoma, Century Gothic, Trebuchet, all of those fonts can, can be used as well. So if, if, we're, if we're thinking about accessibility, there, there are many other alternatives to Comic Sans. And I think there's there's actually a typeface, I'd have to look it up, but there's a typeface yeah. that's that was specifically developed to be more readable for folks with dyslexia. Yeah, and it comes standard on, on Kindle e-readers. Yeah, it's, does it? Yeah. I can't remember what it's called, but... It's not something you would want to use all, all over because it, it, it is a very blocky... Yeah. Sure. ...that I, I think for those that who aren't dyslexic might might be a little uh, off-putting. And, but... and I don't... I mean, I'll also say I, I don't think the majority of people that use Comic Sans in inappropriate ways are doing so because of accessibility <laughs> reasons. I think they're doing so because they think it looks good um, or they think it's playful or fun or, you know, whatever other adjective people ascribe to that particular typeface. But honestly, like, if it has nothing to do with you, unless they're a friend, let them let them figure it out on their own. Let someone else do it. Like, <laughs> let someone else call them out for it. I'm not. I'm not going to defend Comic Sans because I'm. I'm just. I'm just not. Like I can't bring myself to do that. But I will say. Say this. You know, coming from an old old school. Like if you talk to my college self, I was very, um, very opinionated about types of music and like 
if you like this band, you don't know what you're talking about, and blah, 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 blah. And I, I would rail on and on, and I, I would love to go back in time and slap myself for doing that. Because just, just some stuff, it's not for you. It's not for you, right? If somebody, like you said, wants to do it personally, you, you use Comic Sans, well, whatever. They, they, it, it looks clownish to me, but if it makes you happy, great. Just don't use it on my brand. Right. <laughs> like, all right, so let's, let's move on to our, our, our next question which comes from at Jen Krim. It's been quite a year to work in social media. Are there any trends that have popped up this year that you predict shaping up the future of social media management and teams? I'm gonna let you take this one, JS. Oof, that, that's, okay. To, to say this is quite a year is, is like just an incredible understatement. Um, I, I feel sorry for anyone who's starting their career in 2020 in social media because it hopefully things start to change again for the better but we're also only nine months into the year yeah exactly not even not um, even quite but just about i think this is the start or at least i'm hopeful that 2020 is the start of the end of the team of one for social media it's just not possible to happen anymore we're working around the clock overworked stressed i would say burnout is another trend that's happening right now there's yeah. a lot of talk and it's bringing attention to the uh amount of mental health issues and fatigue that goes along with social media the demands are, are being seen more i think i think social media managers are starting to speak out more i was i, you know, I was thinking that about this the other day it's like man my twitter so, social media marketing twitter is just on fire right now and social media managers are really speaking out and why has this happened? Is it just this year happening? But then I realized like social media has just now been a career for a little while. Like people have more than five years experience working in social media now. And I think we're starting to see voices that are not so afraid to speak out anymore. We're confident that we've been doing our jobs a little while. So we're starting to see people who are a little bit more old hat in social media speak out too. So that, that may be a trend that's coming up, but Back to the end of, of the team of one. You know, we were mentioned before the Alexander the Grape campaign I was upset about with yesterday. You can't have a diverse team of one, right? Yeah. So yeah. I, I think that's really going to be important moving forward with social media that we hire more. We have better representation in the, the social media workforce and those social media teams are are more diverse so we can have better ideas we can avoid potential slip-ups yeah so yeah i i think now's the time to instead of maybe trying to predict what trends are going to happen is to say like how can we set trends for the future like this is a time where we should be able to really like pay attention to the work that we're doing online i think this applies to to social media i think this applies to to digital strategy in in higher ed in in every in every industry but this is a time where we should be paying attention to what's going on trying to listen as much as we can with all the noise that's happening and then make decisions for what we're going to do going forward. And I think one of that is we need to be way more, way more diverse and inclusive in our teams. Diversity, not just from a racial standpoint. I think people from all, all walks of life need to be doing this, but I think also we can make decisions, we can make little decisions to be more accessible in the content that we post to social media. We've done a pretty good job on the web side of things and there's still work to be done, but on the social media side of things, there's still a lot of gaps that we need to start filling. And so just kind of building, building this mentality of inclusivity, acceptance, 
is something that should be core to what we're doing already. And so we can make the choice to make that a trend in the next year and to start pushing on it. Oh, definitely. Uh, and I, I think with accessibility, it's going to take more people speaking out against it. To me, accessibility is just, it, it shouldn't be an afterthought. It shouldn't be something that's just nice to have. It should be the standard. It should be the norm. Yeah. Like every post should have alt text from every brand like it should be expected it needs to be written into social media manager job descriptions from this point forward but we do need people at the highest level starting to speak out about it because you know what i i I tweet about accessibility as much as i can there's some great proponents at hashtag hey alexa you know talks about it erica bolts does a great job of talking about it as well but i'll be honest when i tweet about because i'm a total social media dork and i look at my own stats (laughs) for reach and engagement when I tweet about accessibility, that gets some of the lowest engagement of anything I put out there. Yeah. And it's important, but it's not sexy. <laughs> um, and we, we need more people talking about it and, and being proponents of it to, to make people aware of just how important it is. I want to make this point because in the middle of all of the crisis and especially with universities sending out tons of messages JS has complained about the images with little tiny text on it. We talked about this with Erica Bolts. This is something that keeps happening. And I think it's so important to realize that in higher ed, when you are putting out an image that does not have alt text on it, you are harming someone potentially. Like there are people that are not going to be able to read that content, are not going to get the message that you are putting across unless you're doing some other means. But even then, like you should still have alt text on those images. So that's the appeal to the human side of it. If we want to get down to brass tacks, you can get sued. What are you doing? Why do you think that so many universities have gotten sued over their websites? It extends to social media. You can take the extra minute and copy and paste that paragraph of text into the alt text, or you can take the extra 30 seconds and write a proper alt description for it, or take the extra five seconds and link it to a web page that has that copy. One, it's going to be better for your SEO. Two, more people are going to be able to access it. And three, you're just treating your audiences with the respect they deserve. And I, I don't understand why it is okay to talk about wanting to be accessible and then to completely ignore actually doing it for your brand, for your institution. I'm sure that you have an accessibility policy on your university website. Why, as a social media manager, do you think that that does not apply to stuff that you put on social platforms, especially if they offer the tools. If there is a tool for alt text, which by the way, Instagram has alt text. You don't have to put the alt text in your Instagram description. You can actually use the alt text field. It's better for screen readers. But if you're not going to put it in there, like you're, you're breaking your own policy. You're breaking your institution's policy. You can be liable for, for, for all of that. It's, it's just you take the well, extra minute. And bot- bottom line is, it's just the right thing to do. Yes. And and, and here here's the thing, we do talk about accessibility a lot, and I, I I know personally I need to do a better job of, of doing this. Of, of when we talk about accessibility, we we don't need to call out. We need to invite in, and it's never too late to learn yes about accessibility and start doing it just because you're not doing it now doesn't mean you can't 
change. You know, we, we talk about it, the, the word I, I keep seeing in my Twitter feed these days is grace. We can give a little bit of grace. If you haven't been doing it up till now, that's fine. Well, it's not totally fine, but like, but it's not too late to, to shift start doing and it. start doing yeah. it now. Like it's, it's that important. You need to, if you're listening to this and you're not adding alt text to your social media images, learn it now. Go back and listen to the episode with Erica Boltz. It'll be linked in the show notes. You can find it in your, you know, whatever your podcast app is. Listen to that episode. She gives us so many ways to to enact this and talks about how she built the, those processes in her past roles. It's it's not that hard to do. It just it just takes building it into your processes for posting content, and that's all. Like mistakes are fine. Everyone makes mistakes. Everyone has typos. The thing is, you got to start learning from your mistakes and changing them. It's it's not a free pass. Just because you make a mistake once, if you do it again, it's not really a mistake. Or if it's if it's a habitual mistake, it it doesn't become a mistake anymore. And I think also one thing to think about with social media, we are to some extent at the mercy of the platforms. Sure. You know, you know it was a long time before Twitter added the ability to add alt text. They just added the ability to add alt text to GIFs. Instagram stories, there are some ways to ha- have accessibility, but it's far from perfect. The main thing with social media right now is you just have to just try. You, you, and people will give you grace, right? Yes. If you mess up. I, I'll admit there are some times where something's got to go out in a rush, you know, especially with just at replies. Like, I, I know the person is not using a screen reader, yeah. but I, I need to be thinking about, oh, well, what if somebody else is listening to this conversation? I need to be sure and add that alt text into to whatever image or gif I put, I put on there. Uh, I mean, just like typos, we all slip up here and there. But the main thing is you're, you're making an effort to do the right thing day in and day out. And, and alt text and, and accessibility is just that important. So we're going to go on to another question from at Ajali M. That's, well, we'll We'll put a link to link to their Twitter in the in the show notes because I'd hate spelling out people's Twitter handles. <laughs> uh, the The question is: I've been wondering how do people set ad budgets for your organization? How do you know what's a good amount of bu- money to have for ads? Uh, because I never know if I'm putting an adequate amount of money into them. How much you got? <laughs> <laughs> I wish I, I've ever been able to ask this question because generally my when we're talking about ad budgets, that's just what I have to ask. Like what what is the budget? I'll take whatever I can get. But there are a few things you know to kind of factor in and think about about here of at the University of Rockstar, we you know, we work with, with a vendor who does most of our, our, our paid social ads and, and we do that for for a couple of reasons. One, it's a workaround for, for using P cards and, 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 and procurement and you know, we, we can't get a purchase order from Mark Zuckerberg. Uh, so we have to go through an ad agency to do it for us. And so we look at our overall ad budget and where does social fit into that and how much uh, percentage does that get compared to where other areas might, you know, we absolutely have to do. I mean, we've got to do TV spots. We've got to do billboards, whether, you know, we like it or not, because, you know, higher up, that's really, I'm not going to down billboards, but, um, you know, I'm a digital person. They're not my preference to spend money on. Generally, social media is kind of like, well, whatever's left over. Yeah. Maybe it shouldn't be that way. But then when we do have our social media budget, we do have to decide like, okay, where am I going to spend it and what I'm going to spend it on? And it kind of comes down to just like everything else, what are our goals? 
do we want you know brand awareness do we want to get clicks over to the website we're, we're really big on on transfer students this year and, and for the foreseeable future so you know we've got a, a large amount of our budget dedicated towards ads targeted at transfer students so it's kind of divvying it up from there and then divvying up what network we're going to focus on uh quality over quantity you know, for, for budget, you can make a, your money go a long way on Snapchat, but I just don't think you're getting a quality view over o- yeah. over that where I'd rather spend the, to me, I'm, I'm, it's like, it's like going to Target versus going to Kmart, Instagram versus Snapchat. Like I, I'd rather spend a little bit mon- more money and, and go, go to Target and get something that's going to look nice in my house or, or last a little bit longer. Uh, so I, I think that's important to, to consider as well. And, you know, to know if you're putting adequate money into it, personally, it depends on the size of your organization and what you're what you're going for. You know, a small, local. You know, I did some freelance work for for a buddy's guitar shop, and he's really kind of just focused on guitar players locally, so he doesn't have to spend a, a huge amount of money. But for for us at at our university. I don't want to. I don't want to spend time on a on social ads if we're going to spend anything less than a thousand dollars. I just don't. I just don't have the time for it, and it, I, I just don't see that the the impact of anything less now. Yeah, that's that's me personally, but I think that's something every marketer has to kind of sit down and decide for themselves. Yeah, no, and I, I think that's I think that's totally valid. I think it's hard to say it's hard to say what a minimum is going to be for anyone. So I think starting with a thousand dollars as as something that's useful is good. I think there's also just the side of the the spend is only worthwhile if you know what results you're looking for, and if you're able to tailor your ads to get those results. So I think along with the spend that you have, you need to constantly be paying attention to click-through rates to conversion. You need to be tying those to to actual conversions on your website to make sure that you know exactly what each one of those ads is worth or what each one of your converted website visitors is worth. Because a lot of, you know, like, like CPM rates are like, okay, cool. Like, I mean, if it's just engagement, whatever, if someone's clicking through, cool. I think there's also a side of you got to make sure that wherever they're landing is optimized to get them to take an action because I think it's kind of a, a waste in a lot of ways to spend money on digital ads if it's just for awareness. There are better ways to to use that money. Hire people to write content. Hire people to make content, make videos, and start you know getting an getting your actual brand out there in front of people in more natural ways, and then use advertising to to kind of bolster that and then make sure that you're sending people to the right places and so in that case whatever you can spend should be worth it but you really can't pinpoint how much you should be spending until you know what each click is going to be worth to your institution or what each conversion is going to be worth to your institution exactly start with the goal ask for as much as you can yeah (laughs) i mean i really i mean personally i i i think in higher ed, we, we need to have some sort of social paid ad presence up constantly. Like there should never be a time when we're not running some sort of paid social ad. Now, it always should have a goal in mind, but I just think with, with the way the enrollment cycle goes, we need to be doing things. Just It just needs to be a, a, a perennial thing, just constant. Yeah, totally. All right. So we've got one more question for today, and that comes from at that Christina G. How do you educate your client slash management as to why you should or should not publish a piece of content? 
Do you go over content buckets or pillars with them or do something else? Okay, so yeah, this is a big thing that happens all the time. You know, we get voluntold to to post something on social or on the website. You know, what what, what goes on the homepage? And sometimes it's something that, that needs to happen. And other times it's, it's, you know, research about paper lanterns in Western Kentucky in <laughs> 1862. Like, nobody cares. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry if you're a paper lantern enthusiast. This just sounds really interesting. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm sure it's a fascinating topic if I if I delved into it, but uh, <laughs> it's not it's not interesting to the general public, and it's not something that belongs in the homepage. It's not something that belongs on on on, on the main university social channel. So how do we tell people that? Because especially when you tell somebody that, you're telling them that their baby is ugly, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. If somebody comes to you with a piece of content, they're coming to you, especially for us in higher ed. It's their passion. There is somebody who is passionate about paper lanterns in western kentucky in 1862 that is their life's work so how do we tell them that that isn't homepage worthy it, it it's hard to do <laughs> uh, but it's important that we do it and i, I christine brings up the, the question of, of pillars and, and buckets and that's something that i think needs to be done and and stated as, as what the overall goals for your website for your social media are so kind of these these content pillars and buckets that she's talking about are our main ideas that you publish about. So for us, the University of Central Arkansas, what I did is I took our strategic planning document. You know, everybody's got one. Like, you know, it talks about all the things that you want to do in the next 10 years, what what your university values, all of these things. I just cut and paste that thing into a word cloud formulator and saw all the words that came up that were, were, were the most used. And for us, it was, you know, innovation, diversity, enrollment. Not paper lanterns? And not paper lanterns. <laughs> and those things became my, I was like, okay, well, this is obviously what we value because it these words are repeated over and over and over again in our strategic planning documents. So these are what my I'm going to set as our our content pillars. And if it doesn't fall into one of these, it doesn't get published. So a paper uh, that got published about paper lanterns, I'm sorry, that's not innovation to me. It may be really interesting, but it, it, it doesn't fall under uh, enrollment. It doesn't fall under diversity. It doesn't fall into a few other uh, other buckets. So maybe that the homepage or social media is not the best place for it. Another thing I do, however, when I say no, is try to offer an alternative. Hey, I can't put it on the main page, but the history department has a page and that'd be a great spot for it. You know, it may not go on the homepage, but may maybe we can find another outlet for it somewhere Maybe it's good for you know the 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 school magazine or 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 some some other place to put that content. So I always try to offer an alternative. So two thoughts from me. One, I don't think news belongs on the homepage of any university website. I don't think content carousels belong on the homepage of a university website. I think university website should be focused on the goal of recruiting new students of converting visitors into students or their parents into parents of students. So that's just number one. Number two, I, I think there's a there's a side of it where when you're the gatekeeper, there has to be a mentality of 
questioning everything that comes in, not just for its validity, but for is this something that could potentially be useful if in another format? So in the case of your Paper Lanterns JS, like if you've got that word cloud of these are the pillars, the buckets of content, the things, the things that we set as a governing body, the criteria that content has to has to hit or relate to in some way, you may get a paper like that. And I mean, in general, like, are you ever gonna are you ever gonna post a research paper unless you're a major research university and you know that it's like critical to your funding? Probably not. Like your general audience isn't gonna care. Like it's very specific people that are interested in the actual written dry academic research papers that come out of out of universities. But is there another angle to take that content and turn it into something that is valuable and does support the goals that you have? Is it worth sending over to you know whoever writes your features content to create a story that you know that expands on that research and amplifies that particular program and is used to support the program or that faculty person or the department that that came out of in attracting new students? There totally could be. It's just it's it's a matter of say, being able to put yourself in a position of not saying yes or no, but no, not right now, not in this format. Can we find another way, or is it you know is this valuable content, or does this have the potential to be valuable content if we if we tweak it a little bit? I think it goes back to what we were talking about with, about uh, Will Duter's question at the beginning of the show. How do you tell someone their idea is the dumbest idea ever? It's like how do you tell someone that the content that they have is not wanted by anyone. It's not telling them that. Like you don't want to tell them that. You know, ne- you never, you know, you never tell them that we don't want to publish your content. You tell them in this current form, it doesn't fit what we're trying to do. And here are the goals that we have. How can we? How can we highlight this in another way? Or like you were saying, JS, is there a better place for this on on the website? But I think it's important as well as people that do publish content, whether on social or on your website that you're also thinking in terms of is this source material that could turn into something interesting that engages our audience in in other ways because how often do you have source content come to you how often do you have to sit there being like okay now i gotta come up with a tweet or a facebook post or an instagram post to do this thing when you get something new and interesting or potentially interesting hopefully that gets your creative synapses firing and lets you you know create something really cool and good right and once again we want to thank our sponsors for this episode podium education if you're interested in increasing enrollment and attracting top students bring silicon valley to your campus with podium education you can see samples of the coursework that they put out and learn way more about the services that they offer to higher education at podiumeducation.com Thank you so much for listening to the Thought Feeder podcast. We hope you enjoyed this mailbag episode. You can always tweet your questions, comments, and topics to us at ThoughtFeedPod on Twitter. We would love to answer them either on a future show or just have a conversation with you on Twitter. We're always happy to do that. You can also visit our website at thoughtfeederpod.com. We've got transcripts of all of our episodes. And if you enjoy listening to this podcast, we would really appreciate a rating and review. You can do that on Apple Podcasts. There are also other sites that allow you to leave reviews. Anything you can do to help us and express your satisfaction with our show is helpful in getting more people listening to it. Thought Feeder is a production of University Insight.